ora koutou. I'm Brent Giblin, and you're listening to Faux Heritage Stories, a series of talks presented by historian Lisa Trutman with support from Faux Local Board and Auckland Libraries. Prepare yourself for tales of horse races, lost guns, World War I adventures, and more in this exciting series. Today's talk concerns Craigavon Park. From a seaside picnic ground to a municipal reserve, Craigavon Park's story has been one of acquisition, donation and landscaping. Not all of these ideas have survived the test of time and the installation of the power pylons. So join us in this final talk of the series as we discuss the origins, establishment and the history of this park between the bays. This talk was actually meant to be the third of three talks given here at the library and they would have all fitted in rather nicely geographically and subject-wise. The first talk was going to be in March um, on the Gitos Domain, which is where you're at right now. This is still part of the Gitos Domain, um, but it got postponed because of the, <coughs> the things which we won't mention. I had done so much research on it though, I thought myself, yeah, no, um, heck with this, I'm going to be putting it together into a publication, so I got that done. Now, I'm not plugging this, I'm just saying there's copies of this available here at the library, one that's lendable, one that's in research, there's also a copy in Avondale Library, two copies in Central Library, and today I just had the, the foresight to donate a copy to the Blockhouse Bay School, because this is actually a, also partly a story of the school and how it developed as well. Um, the second story, the second topic I gave, which was on the Blockhouse Bay streets, which was the old streets that still survived, named after that Auckland Provincial Council of 1853 that hardly anybody knows anything about, but still some of the names stick. And that was the second talk that um, in the series, but the first talk that it eventually did give, give, um, uh, get going. And there's handouts for that talk still available just to inquire at the library desk because the library said, what about people that missed the talk? And I said, if you miss, they missed the talk, I'll give them a script because basically that's what I'm talking from is a script. Um, so there's copies of that and some lucky people here have nabbed hold of the Craigavon handout for um, today as well. So uh, that way you get to see, uh, to see what the heck I was talking about or nattering on about, even if people couldn't come make it here. So of the topic at hand, which is Craigavon Park. Now, this was a topic that was actually suggested by the Blockhouse Bay Historical Society. I said to the library when it came up for this Wow Heritage Stories project, I said, name, name three topics, you know, if you want me to give topics. One was street names. The other one they decided to do with Gitos Domain, and then they asked the Historical Society. The Historical Society suggested Craigavon Park. So this is the Craigavon Park talk. Craigavon is the westernmost reserve at Blockhouse Bay, so far west that at some points during its story, the folks over at Green Bay were laying claim to it. They saw fit to lay claim to it, at least in spirit. Two unnamed streams flow through Craigavon Park. They're tributaries to the Waitaharangi Avondale stream, combining with Waitaharangi at Sister Renee Shadbolt Park. The lesser of Craigavon streams flows from Armagh, Connell and Kinross streets. The larger one from Taunton Terrace, Mitchell and Connell streets, entering the park opposite 76 Connaught Street, exiting at Kinross where it joins with the lesser stream to flow towards Sister Renee Shadbolt Park and the union with Waitaharangi. 
I do think it would be a great idea sometime to investigate and apply, in conjunction with mana whenua, names for both of those streams. I think it's a bit of a shame, but there's still the unnamed waterways going through this park. There is a mix of native and exotic trees and bush and open grassland at the park. There are walkways, a small car park off Connaught Street and a playground. As well as, as with the story of its eastern fellow reserve, the Gitos Domain here, there were grand ideas at the outset of its acquisition and talk of how wonderful it was going to be as an asset and then things tended to change over time. The site of today's Craigavon Park and the associated Motu Moana campsite just to the south fell outside the boundaries of the D208 land agreement between the Crown and Ngāti Fatua Oraki in 1841. So it had a slightly different land history. It was part of what came to be known as the Robinson Heart Block, a 600-acre old land claim initiated by Charles Robinson. This was bounded approximately, very approximately, by Endeavour Street, the Monaco Harbour, that's the only definite boundary, very approximately the line of Portage Road, the Avondale Stream, and a vague line between Kinross and Heafy Streets. Robinson made his final payment of £4 on his purchase of the 600-acre block on the 10th of March, 1845. The total purchase value was £10 from Te Kawa, Te Hira, and Te Kene of Natifatu Orake, then claimed a land preemption certificate for it dated the 24th of March, 1845. So note the dates. Final payment, 10th of March. And then he said to the government, hey, can I have permission to actually make an old land claim? 14 days later, when actually that was cut for horse, <laughs> he should have done it the other way around. Effectively, the certificate would have given him permission to purchase land directly from Māori, which was normally the sole right of the Crown, apart from that brief period during the time of Governor Fitzroy. Once the purchase had been approved by the Crown, on viewing a proper survey, he would then have been able to apply for recognised title. But Robinson, as I said, put the cart before the horse, it'll all be, work out well, and a dispute ensued. What's known about this chap Robinson? Not a lot. He was probably the same Charles Robinson who took over a retail grocery establishment in Shortland Street in 1842, a tea, grocery and Italian warehouse. I love that description of his place, where he sold a variety of food and ingredients, including, surprisingly as it was quite early, coffee, and also mushroom ketchup. I'd seriously never heard of mushroom ketchup before. Had to Google it up. It's a real thing. It was the original ketchup, and yes, the word ketchup is not necessarily an American term. It was the original ketchup from around the 1700s before they started using tomatoes. Anyway, sold mushroom ketchup. By 1848, Robinson was claiming title to 192,600 acres in total in a number of places. Beyond that, hard to tell him apart from other Charles Robinsons that appeared in the records. There was a guy that was a bit drunk. There was another guy that was ripping somebody else off. There was a guy who was doing a bit of pickpocketing. I am definitely certain it's not all the same Charles Robinson, so it's, yeah, vague. 
In, on the 19th of August, 1846, Robinson transferred his right to the land at the future Blockhouse Bay-Green Bay border to William Hart. Now, Hart is someone with a bit more of a trace through Auckland's early colonial history. He achieved greatest note as the first owner of the Parr Estate at Hillsborough, the future Monte Cecilia grounds. On the 16th of February, 1848, Hart, holding the preemption certificate, made a claim for title over the former Robinson land. At the time, he was using the land as a fenced cattle run. So there was a whole lot of moo cows wandering all over Craigavon Park and everywhere over that side. After examination, the claim was disallowed in June 1848 because of that 14-day woohoo, made a mistake. And the land was passed over to the Crown in return for a debenture worth £27, paid to Hart in 1849. Governor Gray felt that, quote, the regulations have in this instance been designedly evaded. No kidding. So therefore, £27 was all the Crown would offer. Hart actually asked for compensation of £34.16 and wasn't happy with just the debenture. He'd paid Robinson £20, so Robinson paid the mana whenua £10 and got £20 from Hart. So he, he made a profit, he was happy. He made a considerable profit on the deal. The survey for Hart's claim cost £4. Then there was the cost of cutting lines, £3, and horse hire, £2. Hart added to the bill £15, no, £5.16 interest to boot. The government, though, would hear none of it, so Hart had to make do with effectively a £27 credit note. In increasing financial difficulties through various mortgage agreements connected with his Hillsborough estate, Hart first arranged to have all his furniture and effects in the house at the par, sold in February 1850, letting out the house and the farm to others, such as Captain John German Simons, until October 1852. And then finally selling the farm outright later that month. He died in San Francisco in 1859. One of Hart's statements to the government, though, from the 1st of February, 1849, in amongst his appeals for more money, is interesting, though. He said, the land in question will, in a very short period, be of very considerable value to the government. It is very tempting to read quite a lot to that. There has been a story for some time, which I've come across before now, that the land around Blockhouse Bay was initially surveyed at, at that point as a possible fensible settlement site. If this was the case, that would be more likely to be a cause for the land to be of very considerable value to the government as a military settlement, even before the, the later blockhouse, other than any general ideas of it being another of the port areas for the Monaco Harbour, or even a connection for a future inter-harbour canal, which was as vague a notion as it is today. It isn't likely, though, that we'll know for sure unless more records from the time come to light or if they've survived. Any truth or otherwise to the proposed fensible settlement aside, when next we see the site of Craigavon Park, it was part of the 1859 subdivision known as South Wow Township, the Auckland Provincial Council settlement where it was hoped a port town would emerge beside the harbour somehow. Given the topography, definitely very much a somehow. Portage Road didn't exist along the current alignment at all. Instead, Bain Street bowed slightly westward. The portion of Kinross Street that runs along the northern boundary of the park was called Porter Street, and Connaught Street didn't exist at all. 
but the site was roughly courted by Derham Street and O'Brien Street. Bain, Porter, Derham and O'Brien were all members of the first Auckland Provincial Council from 1853. However, none of the around 60 sections of the 1859 subdivision between Bain Street, Porter Street, Connell Street and the Foreshore were sold. In 1884, the central government gave it another go and resurveyed the whole failed 1859 subdivision, apart from a couple of, of spots that they did manage to sell. This time, though, they left the land west of Connell Street as a Crown Reserve and thus it remained unsold. This may have been intentionally set aside at the time as part of a possible canal reserve. There was a reference made to a fishing reserve being a small corner of a canal reserve at the Wau up near Olympic Park where Waitaharangi Avondale Stream meets the Wau Stream to form the river. Three years later, the Avondale Road Board under John Bollard formed and extended the Monaco Road, now Blockhouse Bay Road, to improve land connection with Blockhouse Bay, which was then, of course, Avondale South. In conjunction with this, the Road Board wanted to sort out the paper road leading from the Wau Bridge down to the Monaco Harbour, known then as the Wau Portage Road. At this time, and into the first decade of the 20th century, what we know as Portage Road was the boundary between the Avondale Road District and the Waitamata County. Bollard, eager to encourage settlement at Blockhouse Bay, wanted the government to subdivide and sell that western reserve land, including the future park, and asked the Waitamata County to contribute toward the £120 cost of realigning and opening up the road which ran beside it. The county said no, not at that stage, and deferred the matter. At some point later, though, the portage road was straightened anyway. Who did it? I don't know. But it just, it happened. The government resurveyed the reserve between Portage, Kinross, Connell and the harbour in 1896 and laid out the line of Connaught Street. They started selling lots from August of that year. William Henry Smith bought four of the lots, around 20 acres, for just over £87. That was the Motu Moana site. On, at the August 1896 sale, and the following year, three more lots, 15 acres, being more or less the Craigavon Park site. In 1900, two more lots, 10 acres, were bought by Smith, followed by a further purchase of four and three quarter acres in 1905, these last two purchases completing what is Craigavon Park today. The park might have been even larger, and the houses at the corner of Connell and Connaught might not have existed, had Henry Cecil Crossley Firth sold not only the land that he did in 1905 to Smith, but also that corner he hung on to until 1908. But such wasn't the case. In 1899, though, Smith was noted in the Auckland Star for his block of fairly good land on the line of the proposed canal that may someday connect the waters of the Monaco and the Waitamata. This gentleman has a neat little furnished cottage close to the beach on the site of an old Maori pa, that interested me. I thought myself, old Māori pa. Haven't seen anything else about that, but anyway. And surrounded by a little bit of native bush in what is known as Green Bay. William Henry Smith was born in Ireland around 1850. As a young man, he took up work at a Belfast drapery store. And in 1874, at Portaferry, he married Mary Ann Coey, youngest daughter of a grocer named James Coey. The Smiths sailed to New York immediately after and lived in the United States until 1879, then returned to Belfast. But with William's health deteriorating, they decided to emigrate yet again, this time to Auckland, New Zealand in 1880. 
Marianne, as she now spelt her surname, her, her first name, is said by some sources to have set up her Smith's Cheap Drapery House at the corner of Queen and Airedale Streets opposite the present-day Town Hall site from 1880, joined a business by her husband William from 1881. Other sources, such as William's obituary, state that William set up the business with his brother-in-law, Andrew Clark Coey. Whatever really happened, Smith's Cheap Drapery House was in business from the later date at least. The partnership of William Smith and Andrew Coey with shops on Queen Street and at Newmarket began in September 1882. William Smith was for a time a city councillor and like his wife Marianne was known for his genuine philanthropy towards various slum missions and religious charities. Smith was also though first and foremost a businessman. The land he owned at Blockhouse Bay was more than just a getaway spot or at least that was the intent. Back in 1903, right in the midst of William Smith's purchases of the land at the two future parks, he joined in with the short-lived Waitemata and Monaco Canal Promotion Company. Talk of land near Green Bay being considered for part of a proposed canal site had been going on since the 1880s, so there is really no way he would not have been aware of its potential value had that gone ahead when he was making the purchases. Even around the time of his death in 1912, the proposal had been revived again and would be kept going clear through most of the 1920s by promoter David Bruce Russell. So while the Green Bay land the Smiths owned was a pleasant holiday spot for them, and while William Smith is said to have planted some trees there in a bout of bush restoration, which was a trend at the time, it was most likely that the underlying reason for the purchases were as a long-term capital investment. You do have the canal schemes in part to thank for both Craigavon Parks and the Motumoana um, campsite's existence today. Marion ensured that a memorial to her late husband was placed in the Green Bay Mission Church in Blockhouse Bay, today's Baptist Church at Blockhouse Bay, when the foundation stone was laid in December 1917. In October 1918, she was one of those invited to formally declare the church hall open. By 1922, advertisements appeared offering camping sites and cottage on Mrs. Smith's property to let for 25 shilling weekly plus rates. Then in 1929, Marion decided to gift part of her Blockhouse Bay property to Auckland City Council. This was one of a series of philanthropic land gifts made by both herself and her late husband. But the gift may also have been a good business decision as well, for it effectively reduced the rates payable to the council for her property there by about half. At that stage also, there was really no likelihood of a canal project proceeding. When Sir James Craig, Viscount Craigavon, Premier of Northern Ireland and a friend of hers, visited New Zealand in November 1929, Marion handed the deeds to him in a ceremony and he in turn handed them to the Mayor of Auckland. The park was to be named in honour of her friend as she wanted, quote, to keep an honoured Ulster name forever part of Auckland. I think there's other Ulster names forever part of Auckland, but you wanted to keep that one there. Craigavon Park is today bounded on two sides by Connaught and Connell Streets, both names having associations with Irish counties outside of Northern Ireland or Ulster. Um, so that might be another reason why she would have wanted one right in the middle. Kinross, at least, is a Scottish name. No part of all this argument. Not all that many know about who Viscount Craig even was unless they take time to read the plaques. James Craig, 1871 to 1940, was the son of a wealthy whiskey distiller. 
His father owned a large house named Craigavon, overlooking an inlet called Belfast Luff, hence the association with that name. James Craig served in the Second Anglo-Boer War and returned from South Africa on the death of his father in 1900 and to a state, in a state worth £100,000. He entered politics in Northern Ireland, organised the paramilitary Ulster Volunteers and purchased arms from Imperial Germany prior to the First World War, smuggling 25,000 rifles into Ulster. That's gun smuggling and arms dealing, but anyway. He was made a baronet in 1918 and appointed the first Prime Minister of Northern Ireland in 1921. In 1927, he was created Viscount Craigavon of Stormont. This was the high point period of his career. He became increasingly controversial for his anti-Catholic and anti-Republic of Ireland views and even suggested to Winston Churchill during World War II that the UK should invade the Republic by force and install a Governor-General. I somehow think England was rather busy with other things at the time, so that would have been a good reason why it didn't happen. Associates were well aware that he was becoming increasingly irrational, but he was still Prime Minister when he died peacefully at his home in November 1940. At the time of the 1929 gifting, this description appeared in the Auckland Sun. Craigavon Park would become one of the finest recreation areas of Auckland. Four roads form the boundaries of Craigavon Park, which is above and slightly to the west of Blockhouse Bay. Clumps of pine trees are plentiful on the property, and the centre contains a large plantation surrounded by extensive slopes. The other three roads are not yet fully formed, but there is easy access from Portage Road. A few minutes from the park, Green Bay Beach fringes the foot of a hill. Seaside cottages are already erected in the vicinity, and there is a splendid view of the Monaco Harbour. The site is ideal for picnickers and is less than two miles from Wow Bridge and even closer to the railway. Small expense to put the park in order is expected. Apart from the stipulation to name the area Craigavon Park, no conditions are attached to Mrs Smith's gift. Her wish is that the park be made available to the community as quickly as possible. Mrs Smith has asked for the construction of entrance gates with the words Craigavon Park. Those gates would cost the council £382 to erect. Just as an aside, William and Marion had no natural-born children of their own, but around 1906 they travelled to England and returned in 1909 with a baby they named Reginald Coe Smith. Reginald found out when he was 20 years old that he wasn't a son of the Smiths and hadn't even been legally adopted by them. Because he had tended to move away from Marion's strict Methodist beliefs as he got older, starting with smoking, which led to the revelation about his adoption, I can just imagine that, you're not really my son. When she died in 1938, he received only £100 from her otherwise substantial estate. Instead of a bequest worth tens of thousands, mainly in the form of shares in the firm that he had been promised in earlier wills. In the end, after several court hearings in 1944, it was found that because Reginald was not Marion's natural son, he therefore had no further claim to her estate under the Family Protection Act. But under the terms of the Marion Coey Preston Estate Act of 1945, Reginald's share of the estate was raised by Parliament to £15,000. £15, Marion Smith had remarried and was known as Marion Coey Preston before her death. The Smiths' other land, their beachfront property where they likely had their cottage, was known as Motu Moana 
translated then as Forest by the Sea, by the time of a Grand Scouts gathering there in April 1935. Marion Preston gave the Scouts permission to use the land up to her death in 1938, and the association purchased the land from her estate in 1941 with assistance from local Rotary Clubs. One key element for the development of Craigavon Park as a recreation area was missing, water supply, despite those streams cutting through. Unfortunately, in December 1929, the Parks Committee decided that provision of water supply to the park was too expensive. Well, it was the recession and it was on the verge of the Great Depression. I can understand that. American landscape architect Fred Chop arrived in Auckland at the right time, 1929, to be able to provide Auckland City Council with a plan for the development of Craigavon Park. He proposed sweeping, curving paths from two entrances off Portage Road and another at the corner of Kinross and Connell. The existing plantations in the middle, such as they were, were to be incorporated and joined by a program of tree planting all along the pathways. Interestingly, this was one of the most complete of his designs here in Auckland that was actually fully adhered to. Others at Fowles Park and Owairaka were severely adapted or changed entirely by Mount Albert Borough Council staff. But while Chop's tree-lined walkways didn't exactly end up tree-lined, their sweeping curves laid down over the course of 1932 to 1934 by relief workers can be clearly seen in a 1940 aerial. The stone gate pillars at the Portage Road Connaught Street corner are thought to have been designed by him during the nine weeks he worked at Auckland City Council's engineering department. In 1935, the council had decided to lease the park for grazing to a Mr Barker for two and six per month. The public were still to have full access to the park, somehow, in amongst the cows. By 1937, however, the park seemed to have seen better days. This from the New Zealand Herald. With all the enterprise being shown by the city council and catering for the needs of its outlying suburbs, there are definite signs of neglect in connection with the control of Craigavon Park which is only a few minutes' walk from the Esplanade Road and served by reasonably good roads. This park of almost 30 acres was given to the city by Mrs W. H. Smith and was opened by Viscount Craigavon on the occasion of his visit to Auckland in 1929. The property is in part studded thickly with pine trees and in the centre is a fine plantation surrounded by grassy slopes which are, however, becoming overgrown with tea tree. Many delightful walks lead through the tea tree, but gorse and blackberry are rapidly taking charge. A resident remarked yesterday that this seemed to be a pity when citizens were being urged to find work for Auckland's unemployed. A small gang of good workers could soon remove the evidences of neglect, and with the improved roading access now provided, the park could at last receive the attention it deserved. T.S. Aldridge, the Council Superintendent of Parks, suggested in 1939, perhaps, that the park should be gradually developed and his idea was to plant it with rhododendrons and azaleas. They would have been rather floral, but anyway. During World War II, the military authorities had the use of the, of the park from 1942 until 1944. In October 1944, the Green Bay Residents and Ratepayers Association requested that the park be made available for picnics and that part be leased to them as a motor camp. It couldn't be used as a camping ground, however, as it had been in the early 1920s, because of regulations brought in towards the end of the 1930s, which mandated that camping grounds had to have cooking facilities, water supply, lighted pathways, and proper sanitation. 
In June 1946, at the height of Auckland's post-war housing crisis, the Council's Parks Committee considered the possibility of converting Craighaven Park into a motor camp area anyway to be used by returned veterans. The park, though, by that time had deteriorating pathways, still no sanitary connection, and was judged unsuitable either as a motor camp or as a temporary transit housing camp by the city engineer. The relative remoteness from the city meant higher public transport costs, along with the cost of extending drainage and water pipes. The Blockhouse Bay Improvement Association agreed with this opinion, feeling that if any drainage work was to be done in the area, it should first be placed to service the most important areas in our district, they said. In May 1947, Barker was let back in with his cows. Complaints came in from the Green Bay residents as to the condition of the park in early 1951, but the council replied only that they were still considering the park's future development. Some things never change. The Blockhouse Bay Association Football Club asked a little later if they could set themselves up on the park. Now the boys would get in there, they'd do a bit of clearance. That request was also declined. They had some trouble up here too, but that's another story. By 1961, Craigavon Park was around 75% to 80% bush covered, but this would not last for long. Early in 1965, a swathe of the regenerated bush and trees were cut right across the width of the park, from Connaught to Kinross Street, with the installation of a power pylon right in the middle of the park. There has been a certain amount of regeneration softening the edges of the cleared area, but CHOP's landscape plan now appears to be barely visible. Later developments at the park include, in 1982, the inauguration of the Te Ara Oteroa Walk, linking Avondale South Domain, now Getos Domain, right through with to Craigavon Park and Green Bay via Te Wa Point. A one-kilometre fitness trail on the park opened in 1983, funded by the Blockhouse Bay Linfield Lions Club. Play equipment was installed in 1988. This would be upgraded in 2000. That's an interesting thing because one reason they gave for not allowing a playground to be installed here at the domain, at the Avondale South Domain, I'll use the old name because it was back then, in the 1950s. Oh no, said Council, we're going to build a playground in Craigavon Park. That did not immediately happen. Right, according to a draft management plan document in the 1990s, native species planted at the park include Rangaranga, Kahikatea, Tawa, Puriri, Pukatea, and Koikoi. During the park's existence, local schools held Arbor Day planting events there, but it also contains invasive species and troublesome exotics. A concert held there in 2000 by Blockhouse Bay Lions inspired talk of perhaps a sound shell being added to the park. A caretaker's house that once existed on the Connaught Street frontage was removed that year. In 2002, the process began towards drafting a management plan for the park. At that point, the report identified 28 native plant and tree species, including kauri, and 13 bird species, of which six were native. Fantail, grey warbler, kingfisher, silver-eyed, tui, and white-faced heron. In 2005, a large number of 50-year-old pines were removed. Don't worry, if you want to go now, you can go for your life. You won't. She said she might have to go early, so that's fine. She was, I saw her getting prepared, so I thought I'd just stop and say, no, you go for your life, you're not interrupting a thing. 
In 2005, a large number of 50-year-old pines were removed. The 50-year-old trees are in decline and may fall or lose branches, presenting a danger to nearby power lines, roads and members of the public using the park, Auckland City Council said. Blake Hunton at the council uh, went on to say, we need to remove these pines because we've already had instances in which branches have snapped and caused problems with nearby power lines. One of those power lines connected with the pylon, who knows? It's important that we act now to make the area safe. Replanting to replace the trees proceeded in 2006. In 2007, Brooke Noonan nearly lost her dog Murphy down an uncovered stormwater drain at the park. Murphy had been swimming in a stream there. Craigavon Park was and is a dog exercise area, but not everyone approved of the idea. In May 2008, someone laced poison and sausages left at the park. One was eaten by Mike Fisher's dog. A Pahutakawa tree was planted in August 2012 at the park to commemorate the 25th anniversary of New Zealand's nuclear free legislation. Don't know where that is. Hope it's got a plaque with it. Robin's shrugging. Don't you know, Robin? Hey. Towards the end of it, there's all these notes of, hey, this was planted. So if you don't know about it, Find the Bahuda cow or find out well, how much firewood they made of it. Travelling gypsy fairs became a regular feature at the park and they celebrated 25 years in 2015. The park's playground was upgraded again in 2017 at a cost of $595,000, but it was reported in January 2018 that a Terex PT-60 skid loader was stolen from a construction site at Craigavon Park, Blockhouse Bay, in September. How you could steal a skid load, a big whopping great skid load, I'm not sure. Setting works back by at least a few weeks. And I thought Avondale people caused trouble. <laughs> it's either the Green Bay people, the Avondale people, or New Lynn even, who knows, but yeah. <laughs> and this delayed the opening of the playground. The new playground would be bigger though and better than the old one, they said, which had come to the end of its naturally serviceable life. It would include water play, a junior module with swings, carousel and springers, and a senior module with views out over the park, mega swings and seesaw. It would also have upgraded seating, a large circular tree seat and a new water fountain. The playground would be fenced because of its close proximity to the nearby dog exercise area. The playground opened in April 2018. But in the past few years, the park's reputation has slipped. By July 2018, local community newsletter The Beacon discussed some of the odd goings-on at the park, including mail flashes, a car burnt out on Connaught Street boundary, a tree-trimming pastor, in quotation marks, they described it as a tree-trimming pastor, who was caught on camera dumping a, a truckload of mulch, and dogs attacking and mauling other dogs. I have seen the burnt out remains of at least one car on Connaught Street beside the park, so I believe the burnt out cars um, business. As a regenerated semi-wilderness, scene of controversies over usage, reports of suspicious activity amid peripheral green space. It seems that Craigavon Park's future will always be though, at least in the foreseeable future, as the park on the edge of the west. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this talk from Faux Heritage Stories. If you want to hear other author talks, concerts, and in-depth heritage commentaries, head to the Auckland Library's website to subscribe. Matewa. Thank you.